0: And you tell us what we know in our souls, Lord, that we we love you because you first loved us. It doesn't start with us. We had no inclination to even turn in your direction. Some of us can admit we were among those who despised you, rejected you, stayed away from you because, well, we had our reasons. but in time you've overwhelmed those reasons with truth about who you are. The most poignant piece of that truth is what you've done by going to a cross to pay for something you did not do so that we might gain something we don't deserve. My sin met the mercy and Forgiver on a cross long ago. And you, as a result, canceled that certificate of death by nailing it to a cross. And so I can go beyond in this life what most people see as the end, death. Because I have life everlasting. From that day years ago I bowed my knee before you, I, I know where I go when I leave this life. Which means I've only got a little bit of time left. Compared to the big spectrum of history, I, I've got a, just a blip on the screen. So I want it to be uh, used by pouring out my love for you. And adoring you. And showing that in the way I live and the words I share with others about the Jesus that will do the same for them. So we're quiet and humble before you right now. Grateful
1: and full of love. Join me. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. For. For he alone is worthy, for he alone is worthy, Christ the Lord. Go ahead and have a seat this morning, would you?
0: What beautiful sounds, what beautiful words prayed and sung. And, um, can I camp on our trumpeter, bro? Uh, some of you probably thought, wow, a trumpet in church, does that? Is there, is there a spiritual reason behind that? And the truth is, 1 Thessalonians 4, as Krista mentioned, signals the one instrument when the clouds are rolled back and the Son of God returns will be what, a trumpet, and the trumpet call of God will be. So you're just getting warmed up, bro. It's it's there's big stuff ahead, and um, so this is really a great thing. And uh, I um I I wonder, what if this was that day? Tomorrow's Labor Day, which is weird because most of us have big work plans in the yard, right? So. Uh, No one can figure that one out, but you know, the ultimate labor was finished, right? Didn't Jesus say final words on the cross and he's coming back. So he'll say, Hey, I was just finished with the work of fixing your sin problem. Now, if you turn to me, things get better from there and they hold together for all of eternity. Amen. So that's really the great news that uh, centers our heart again. Uh, as we gather today in worship, wonderful worship. And thank you, team. It's just, it's great. It's, um, and uh, you who are live stream, you're part of that worship. I know many of you personally, uh, including my own bride, and um, you're out there and you're singing, your heart's out, and you're, you're taking it all in. And um, we, are, we are, we're in the house here. We believe that you're part of this community and we hope to see you in the house someday, and many of you are doing that very thing. But what if today were the day? Think of those two words right now, would you? What if? They're powerful words, right? I mean, they they can point to a wide range of outcomes. For example, what if you won the lottery? Think about it. I know, I know the Christian answer. Well, that means I have to start playing it, Pastor. Okay, that's okay, that's all right. But let's say you won the lottery. Maybe somebody gifted you a lottery ticket, and by golly, it it's the winner. It's the big ball. That big ball? What's the... Oh, how come you knew that? Just kidding. Okay, so... Powerball. Get it right, Pastor. So, tricked you. So, um, uh, what if civilization falls apart. <laughs> what if, Pastor? Come on. Uh, it's happening, right? What if, okay, let's, a couple more. What if a meteor were to hit my truck? <laughs> Stop. Call yourself a Christian. Uh, so... <laughs> Okay, one more. What, what if Steve's message was short? <laughs> okay. My answer? The world may never know. <laughs> so let's, let's get serious for a second. That, what, the, the, to me, and maybe to many, the, the, the biggest what if is the title of my message today. What if God's people pray? Great great casting crown song. If you've not heard it, it's by that title. What if my people pray? And I was going to sing a solo on that, but I chose Come Let Us Adore Him. But it's a great song. Okay, listen to... I'm getting all kinds of claps today. That's really good. Okay. So uh, what if God's people pray? A number of years ago, Max Licato, referred to prayer in a most memorable way. He asked of prayer when Jesus said in John 14, 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So what if we became those people that really got serious again about prayer? Licato says, Is any other spiritual activity promised such fruit? If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That's huge fruit. That's huge. Any way you slice it, right? Did Jesus call us to preach without ceasing, continuing his words, or teach without ceasing, or have committee meetings without ceasing? Praise God he didn't. Or sing without ceasing? No, but he did call us to pray without ceasing. Continuing, did Jesus say, My house shall be called a house of study? A house of fellowship? A house of music? A house of exposition? A house of activities? A house of political activists? No, 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 no. Somebody answered every time I asked the question. But he did say, my house shall be called a house of prayer. That's a big deal. And many thanks to Lakato sort of framing it, which is what we're going to talk about this morning. My Bible's open to a true story as it is each week. This is not made up myth. This is stuff to Sink your teeth in and live by. In Acts chapter 12, we pick up where we left off last time we were together, last week. And chapter 12 involves the apostle Peter and God's people praying. So Luke mentions a time at the beginning of chapter 12. Most of you have found that section in God's Word. I want to encourage you, keep this Bible handy. I have three of them by my chair at home, and I'm, I, sometimes I stack them on top of each other, and they, partly because it's closer and I can read it better, but <laughs> partly because I want to see it in different translations, and it, it just works that way for me. So do that. Delight in that. Hunger for that. And when you, when you push away from that for the day, be ready to come back tomorrow and just keep doing it. So Acts chapter 12 Uh, At the beginning here, Luke mentions, he's the narrator narrator of the acts of the apostles or what we've come to call acts of the Holy Spirit. And he mentions the time of Herod Agrippa as a historical marker and point of reference. Look at verse 1, let's read it. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He, Herod, Had James, the brother of John, sons of Zebedee, put to death with the sword? So let's just stop for a second. About what time? That's how he begins, about this time. So uh, the time of Herod Agrippa I, uh, who was from a long line of Herod's. If you read your New Testament, you find not one or two, but four Herods that make appearances in the Gospels. So they stand out, these Herods do. And um, and the first, of course, is Herod the Great. He goes back pre-Christ's arrival or birth in Bethlehem. And Herod the Great was the one that learned that a king was born to the Jews. And he sent out word wanting to come and supposedly worshiped this king, only you know if you know your Bible from Mark chapter 2, that he, he became the Herod known as the murderer of Bethlehem babies. And they came and, um, and killed every firstborn male under two. It was a, it was a horrible, uh, inconsolable uh, uh, rampage. And, and it was a failed one. Because Jesus had uh, his his parents Joseph and Mary had gotten word get the get your son out of here for this time then then comes along after Herod the Great Herod Antipas Herod's son and he took part in Jesus' trial and he was the the Herod actually that ordered the beheading of John the Baptist not not the John we just read about which is John the brother of James, sons of Zebedee, we see them earlier in the Gospels of of, of fisherman descent, right? But this this is the John the Apostle who's who's been beheaded, and um, and uh, and and that story is in Mark chapter ten. Uh, and then uh, Mark six, rather. Then comes Herod Agrippa, the one that's being described here, and he's the one who's the grandson of Herod the Great. And he arrested Christians and persecuted them, even murdering, as we've mentioned already, James. Um, And then finally, and you find this later, and we will come to it later in our study, later this year, early next year, in chapter 25 and 26 of Acts, you come to the fourth and final, Herod in a 140-year dynasty, of these Herods. And he was the one that the apostle Paul shared the gospel with. And he says, what are you trying to win me over here? Remember that guy in the end of Acts? And Paul had stopped in Caesarea and met with him and shared the gospel with him and was heading to see the emperor himself, Emperor Nero, um, in, in Rome. So now the murder of James verse two, um, is an event that you would imagine had the response of Christians. They deeply mourned the loss of this great leader in the early church. He was one that had firsthand touch with Jesus. He, he got in a boat with Jesus. He was part of miracles that fed millions or uh, thousands of people. He, he was in a most enviable spot. So when he left the scene and left it in a terrible way, it was it was understandably a mournful time. But the surprise comes in that not all the people joined in the sorrow. Some actually um, met that news with approval. That's the time we're talking about. so Her- Herod Agrippa the I saw the occasion as a chance to bolster his popularity, and we pick up on it in verse 3. When he saw that people approved of that, the the killing of James, um, he decided to do more. So he proceeds here to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to the guards. And there were many of these guards, four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So his opportunity came after he arrests Peter during Passover. Why during Passover? Because the city's packed with people. There are all kinds of folks coming for this festival, and the city streets are full. And he's seeing this as a as a Despot would. As a a wonderful opportunity, since John's death brought great approval by many in the city, Peter's would only further extend his uh, impressive impact, uh, though be it through horror. So um, the plan was set. These four squads of four soldiers are in place. What could possibly go wrong? Well, We're told what in a single verse. Look at verse 5. Peter kept in prison, but that night the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The battle lines, folks, are drawn. You have Agrippa and his guards, verse 4, against God and his people praying, verse 5. See this? Agrippa's got a plan, and it's going to be executed soon. God's people have a contrary plan, and they wasted no time executing their plan, praying. The miraculous outcome uh, inspires my title today. What if God's people prayed? Well, what happens next is actually so amazing. We get to read it. But we're going to read it a little different this morning. Uh, we're going to read it, uh, as, as they say in the South, uh, by sitting for a spell. And that means we're going to not hurry through it and make a couple of uh, color commentary thoughts, but we're going to take it all in. We're going to, as I try to do weekly, Im- imagine being there. Imagine being part of the people in that room. We're going to find out it's Mary Uh, John Mark's mother's home we're going to imagine being one of those people uh, when this all goes down so how how, here's how the eve of Peter's likely execution uh, goes verse 6 the night before Herod was to bring Peter to trial Peter was sleeping between two soldiers now I'm assuming most of us have not been to jail or prison. I came close, but um, I, I, I've been there. I've been to visit people there. And not once have I seen a prison guard on the right and on the left of a, of a prisoner. Um, they're in their cell, but always alone. I don't have an exception to that that I can point to. So already we're picking up on this fact that, well, we're told they're sleeping, he's sleeping between two soldiers, add to that, bound with two chains, and centuries standing guard at the entrance. We would call this a high-priority um, uh, high prisoner, right? I mean, that's what's going on here. It's like double, triple, quadruple um, insurance that nothing will go bad here. That's the effort that Agrippa took to see that the next day happen. So there's uh, a strong and intentional interest that no shenanigans take place um, that would spring Peter. Security super heightened. No surprise then, right? You're, you're with me now. You're, imagine being Peter in that moment. And Peter, you can imagine him pacing the floor in an attempt to fight off a full-blown panic attack, if he could, right? Because he knows it's going down tomorrow, and this will not turn out well, right? Right? Not right. Not even close. Get this? He's sleeping. <laughs> Hold up. He's sleeping. That can't be. Seriously? Who sleeps? Who sleeps in a circumstance like this? I got to tell you, I'm sitting there going, Man, those handcuffs are tight. And and, and the the guard, he's not asleep. Neither is this one. Why? Because this is, their life's on the line. They better have Peter the next day when they call for Peter. So Peter is the last, the last thing you expect him to be doing is sleeping. And it's a certainty Peter knew the fate of James just days before. So, sleep? I actually thought of people I admire for being able to sleep. Um, how many of you can take a nap? Man, you are gifted. How many, I don't care what it takes, you cannot take a nap? It's me. Man, there's only a few weird ones in here, just a few of I can't. I'm just revved up. I just go, no, I can't sleep. What's my problem? I do sometimes behind the wheel. Just kidding. No. Uh, but sleeping needs a, I need some what they call a white noise fan, you know, the, you know, and I and that's important. I like that. And if I am happen to be on the road or, you know, away from home, I'm thinking, man, I'll look weird walking into a. A hotel room with a honking fan to keep the wind blowing, you know. So I don't know many people like this. Uh, The slightest sound wakes me up. Car goes by too fast on the street. I'm like, what? What's the deal? Battle stations. What's going on? (laughs) I know. It's crazy. Some of you are going to bring me melatonin this week. I appreciate you. Others have. And they, and they don't work for me. So um, uh, maybe you knew that Peter, maybe this is on your mind. You're thinking, I'll tell you why he's, sleep- he's sleeping. He's been here before. You know that's true, right? Not, not once, but twice, two other times, both at the hands of the Sanhedrin back in chapter 4 and chapter 5. He's arrested, and he's in jail. He's detained overnight, All right? Right? But I would remind you of both of those stories. Um, he never, in either case, was facing execution the next day, a pretty good whipping, but not death. That would have, that would have gone contrary to the Sanhedrin's plan to quiet down this radical named Peter. And, and I must tell you, in neither case do we read those two words or three words. He was sleeping. So, um, I don't know. I don't know why he was able to sleep, but I knew. I do know for certain. No question about it. I would not have been able to do that. I'm not done with this because I stayed there and thought, what is behind? Peter was asleep. What's that? I think my answer is the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, it's the only answer that makes sense to me. And you know what? I, got a, I picked up a hint, actually, of that. It's not original to me. But I went back a few chapters. We've been here already in our previous studies. Would you flip back five pages, I think, five pages, to Acts 7? Would you go there just for a moment? And when you do, look with me at verse 54. Stephen is about to lose his life soon to be stoned to death. This is a moment where most humans flip out. If that was you or me, we would be inclined to do something very different than what we're going to read. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious. He had just been sharing the gospel with them. And, He called them out as the ones that put Jesus on the cross. That's why they're furious. They gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, look at this, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. That is is an image that impacts you if you'll take it in. It sure did him. Verse 57, at, at this they covered their ears, Uh, Actually, verse 56, Uh, look, he says, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices to drown him out. And then they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, began to stone him. Meanwhile, there was a witness, uh, witnesses laying their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, who would become the apostle Paul. Watch verse 59. While they were stoning him, that means, I, I apologize for being too graphic, but, but, but rocks are glancing off his body in the process of carrying out this vicious execution. While they're stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Isn't that a beautiful, peaceful end to that horrible scene? But you don't read anything here in Stephen of him chewing his nails and yelling back at them and saying, You'll get yours. This is, this is unjust. You brood of viper. He didn't call him out. He didn't do any of the above. He just simply rested how do you rest being stoned to death how do you rest being shackled between two prisoners awaiting your execution likely the next day how do you do that without help i think that's what the holy spirit's been teaching me isaiah said this too the steadfast of mind, Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4. The steadfast of mind thou will keep in perfect peace. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord, he says. All who have their thoughts and minds fixed on him, trust in the Lord always, for in the Lord our God we have an everlasting I think that's why Peter was asleep. But what happens next in that holding cell, um, even for sleepy Peter, was impossible to sleep through. Look at verse 7. Let's pick up there. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in Peter's cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains Fell off Peter's wrists. (laughs) Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, take it in, people, but he had no idea what the angel was doing, if it was really happening. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. <gasps> An angel had been dispatched, and suddenly, a sudden appearance fills Peter's cell. We know what it was like up to this point. This angel's appearance fills Peter's cell with light. And then next comes a nudge because Peter was still asleep. And this nudge comes at him and awakens groggy Peter, followed by an audible voice telling him swift and simple instructions. Get up, get dressed, follow me. And then verse 7 tells us chains fall off without human help. (laughs) It's like handcuffs failing. Not one, both at the same time. And no one has the key. Don't let this be too familiar. The chains come off. His handcuffs, his chains fall off. without a, And then a little bit later, the outer gate. They come to a gate. Uh-oh. No. <laughs> they open. Who has the remote? <laughs> Seriously, this he's just taking this stuff in without a key. Luke wants us to notice something here. Verse 10, he wants us to notice the guards. The angel escorts Peter past two sets of guards who, um, it's, you can research this, their job description demanded that they stay awake and alert through the night. Or the account they will pay is their own life. And it turned out to be the case. So they're alert. They're not about to doze on the job because it leads to their death. Outcomes they're not interested in. So we're told, verse 10, that Peter walks right by the guards. They're standing there, folks. Their eyes are open. Peter comes walking by and goes, oh, no. You know, I mean, I don't know what he did. I just know they didn't respond. The guards... Take it, it's, it's, it's really cool if you stay there a while. Um, they missed everything. In fact, they missed even the light that first appeared when the jailbreak began. Um, aside from what the angel told Peter in the cell, get up, get dressed, follow me, there's no other comments that are recorded. We don't hear the angel saying anything further. We just see the narrative tells us that they left out into the city and walked a block and the angel disappeared. Um, They walk a bit. Peter's still trying to take it in and the angel's gone. Um, Wow. What do we know about angels? From this scene, well, we know we know what Hebrews chapter one says—that they are ministering spirits sent to render aid to God's people. Are you one of God's people? Um, they are sent on specific assignments. I would love if you've visited an angel and didn't know about it until maybe later or somehow the only explanation you've been able to come up with was, like Peter, that had to be an angel that wasn't, you know, there's myths that have grown over the years, oh, you know it was an inside job well, in one sense, yeah, it was Um, but it wasn't a jailer that it turned but but there's this specific assignment. If you've ever had a, Hebrews 13 says there's, that some have entertained angels unaware. Be, be nice to strangers because they may not be as strange as you think. If you've had one of those moments, talk about it with somebody. I want to hear about it. Um, I've heard people tell. I've had relatives tell me about those moments. Um, what else can we learn? They possess power and authority to carry out the assignment for which they were sent right i mean they had to be able to go hey cuffs hey gate hey guard blind let's go they had power and they had authority and and they display protective power over someone in this case, Peter, that they were sent to deliver. That angel, in other words, didn't get Peter half out of jail and then a spear ran through his heart because the the jailer finally saw him and took him out. No. All of this is still true, folks. Um, Psalm 34, verse 7 promises, The angel of the Lord is encamped around all those who fear him. I love camping. It's not the same kind of camping. Encamped means this angel has got you circled and covered. Think 2 Kings chapter 5. And it's um, the servant of Elisha the prophet. And early that morning the servant goes outside and he sees with his human eyes, "Oh my goodness. We are We are surrounded by bad guys. And he comes back in and says to Elisha, we're going down today. And Elisha says, what's the concern? And he says, they're they're surrounded. We're, we're, We're goners. We're surrounded. Elisha gets up and walks out on the front porch of their little cabin. And he gets a big smile on his face. And he says to his servant, oh, great we're surrounded. And then he prayed, "Lord, open his eyes to see the vast army of angels that you have sent." Which I what do you see, people? Do you see your circumstances as they are? Or or is it or is it your practice that you you tend to see what's not seen? You you actually um Look at an impossible situation, and you find yourself saying these words of faith: "God's got this." Do you? I want to be that guy all the time. I don't want to hair out when I see, you know, a few thousand troops. Ask Hezekiah. He's just getting the stuffing beat out of him by uh, Sennacherib up in Assyria who came down and says, you're going down, no one's been able to resist me. And the Bible records in 2 Kings that that night one angel, one, took out a sword and did in 185,000 of Assyrians and kicked the king in the hiney to go home and the rest of his troops went home in disgrace. That's a God that's big. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Amen? Amen. That's what God does. He sends angels to pull this kind of stuff off. Psalm 91 adds, these are words you're familiar with if you read Jesus' um, temptation. Matthew 4 and Luke 4, it's both, both gospels recorded there. These words are what Jesus Are part of his response to the devil he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways the devil tried to pull that and and uh and trick jesus they will lift you up quoting from psalm 91 in their hands and they will not let you strike your foot against a stone or in this case a soldier (laughs) right his angels sent as ministering spirits So at any rate, Peter was wondering if this was real or some imagined thing, verse 9 tells us, some kind of a dream. And then verse 11, there's sort of a, almost like he comes to. Would you look at that, verse 11? Peter came to himself and said, now I know this this is not, I'm not making this stuff up. I know without a doubt, in fact that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping to do to me. Then comes the final scene. And it's a miraculous rescue filled, I'll just say it up front, with a mixture of relief and humor and disbelief and astonishment. Um, it's understandable that Peter's first priority, when he's okay, the angel's gone. He's a block away from jail, and his first thought is, "I got to go find my people, and I got to go, go. It's show and tell time. I got to, I got to show them I'm here, I'm alive, I'm free, and 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 I got to tell you how it happened. So that's what's behind the scenes here that lead to verse 12, um, when. This dawned on him that he was delivered, right? And this angel took a part in it. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying, okay? So he goes there to this home of Mary, and and the people are gathered there to pray all night long. um, No doubt in my mind what they were praying about. Peter's deliverance, Lord, rescue our brother, Lord, set him free, Lord, do not let this fate come upon him, so when Peter arrives, what can only be described as a, uh, let's call it comic relief in the story, or maybe cosmic relief is a better label for it, okay, so um, keep in mind it's middle of the night. And people are praying fervently for a favorable outcome. And it goes like this, verse 13. Um, Peter knocks at the door on the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. So if you get a knock in the middle of the night, it's a little alarming. You don't just open the door. You go to the door and you say, who is it? Or you go click, who is it? <laughs> right, right. But Rhoda didn't have She didn't. She, Rhoda, rather, Rhoda. She didn't have that. She just, who is it? And the, the answer had to come back, it's me, it's Peter. And her, her response is, oh, my gosh this I know that voice i know who that is and instead of opening the door that's the comedy here she just runs back into the big room and tells those gathering on their knees begging god for a better outcome peter's at the door and 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 i i wish this wasn't there but it's probably the reaction of more than a few of us verse 15 you're out of your mind the Greek there is not nice. The Greek there is, "You're crazy, you need help. You be- go to sleep, girl. That's the thinking here. Um, so he continues knocking. We're not told how long this this debate and delay went on, but it's captured well by Luke in verse sixteen. When in fact they finally opened the door, he kept knocking, means a continuous verb. There's a, he's just knocking away, and there's, the door's not opening until finally it does, and they saw him, and these three words describe it well. They were astonished. Oh, it's you, Peter. I'm just going to insert some things that you would expect. Luke didn't have these to pick from in those days. There's probably lots of high fives, lots of hugs, lots of, you know, chest bumps. I mean, whatever it was. There's all kinds of excitement happening in the middle of the night at the door. Um, And Peter does what I would have done. He quickly tells what happened. And in telling, he says, calms everybody down, quiet, listen, I got to tell you what happened. He described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James, and that's Jesus' half-brother, the gospel writer, or the epistle writer, and the other brothers and sisters, believers, tell them about this, that I'm free. And then then it says, we're told at the end of verse 17, he left the place. He left for another place. Why? He got a hightail out of there because they're going to be on you. And they kind of know where to look. And for his sake and for their sake, he moved on. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had, a, had made a thorough search of him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and then did away with them. He executed them. Um, so I have a question at the end you know what if people God's people prayed is woven through this story here and it would be great and even tempting for me as a pastor to, to stand here and sign off with a statement that insists that prayer outcomes turn out this way Truth is, they do sometimes. Uh, As we've seen today, I love it. I want the worst way to close my Bible and say let's have communion right now. But I'm looking into the eyes of more than a few where it didn't turn out that way. And I love you enough to not just try to puff sunshine your way, but to be honest about it. Don't forget, we're reading a triumphant story. You all ought to be on your feet going,
1: yeah, Peter, rock on, way to go, God.
0: But just days before, verse 2 of this story we just read reveals grim news. Apostle James' death. And we already went there, but Acts 7 also, Stephen's death. Do you think no one prayed for a different outcome there? So what can we take away from this study? I have three takeaways. If you want to write something down, you can. If you don't. Number one, we know that prayer is a priority throughout the Bible. So pray. So pray. You have a pastor didn't work last time. Pray again. Yeah, but it really turned out way different last time. Keep praying. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results to God. Be a pastor, do all you can in the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results to God. That is hard for me to do. I don't like the outcome or the results and I want to give up on what I was doing. You that way? I think you are. We're all kind of wired a little alike. Does this maybe not work today? The Bible is teaching us that prayer is a priority. And I just need to say it for honesty's sake. I'm not going to sugarcoat this. Jesus Christ prayed intensely, so intensely, that the cup of suffering would pass from him. The night he was arrested, and by noon the next day, he was executed on a cross. He prayed three times, so intensely that he sweat drops of blood, Luke describes. You ever prayed that hard? I've never seen blood when I'm done. Um, He dies on a cross hours later, which points to a second takeaway. Pray fervently. Pray fervently. Don't hold back, pray all out. Plead, beg for help. For healing. I've never prayed that harder than this last year. Pray it. I know you know others that it didn't turn out. Pray it. Some of you have unsaved friends or children or family or or, or, or whatever. You don't see them turn into Jesus you were charting their life, they're getting further and further away. What about Saul? The guy was as far away as you could get. Chief of sinner, he called himself. But God turned him around in a moment. Don't hesitate to pour out your heart, no matter what's in your heart. He hears, and he'll do something uh, according to his will. So don't hedge your prayers. Don't do that. That's, that's lame. It doesn't, your soul doesn't like that. Don't be, don't hedge it like, well, Lord, you know, if it's your will, I pray that you'd save this marriage. It is his will. Give your full soul to seeing that thing come back together again. Yeah, you don't have control over it. You're only one person in the marriage. But pray that the other half will join you there. It sounds, sounds legit to me. Um, and here's a third. Pray secure in his sovereign plan. It's likely that some of those who I answered the door that night um, to behold Peter standing in front of him alive were at the memorial just days earlier. Same God, same sovereign plan. It is a mystery. Can we concede that? I will. But um, when you chafe at that mystery, and I have, preaching to myself. You know that. If you're new here, you need to know I'm not yelling at you. I'm speaking to myself. And I chafe at the mystery that, that James died and Peter didn't. It puts doubt in my mind. Not just doubt of whether this moment will work. Doubt sometimes in bigger things like the, the sovereignty of God. I'm just being honest with you. But you know what helps me in those deep moments of chafing? The words that Job expressed in the final chapter of his very lengthy struggle. Now I know that you can do all things, Job said. Chapter 42, verse 2. And no plan of yours My sovereign God can be thwarted. Amen? That's still true for me and you. Would you bow your heads with me and prepare for a time of communion? Uh, Those words, Lord, um, are included in your book. The story of James and Peter are both there. And we are here. People like them. We admit we want the outcome to be like Peter, not like, like John. We, we, we want a different outcome. But we want to rest in your sovereignty. And Lord Jesus, we, we, we take it in. It's true. You actually asked if there is another way. Show me that way, Father. And it turns out that that way was the cross. So I pray that today would do extremely personal and deep things in our hearts as we rest in your sovereignty and the unfolding of your plan for your glory and for our good.